Hey everybody, Daniel Patrick here. Real quick before we start the episode, I have an incredible giveaway to announce. The folks at Blue Highway Fest are giving mandolins and beer listeners a chance to win two-day pass and four-day pass tickets to their festival. The festival takes place in Big Stone Gap, Virginia, October 11th through the 14th of this year. Again, Big Stone Gap, Virginia, October 11th through the 14th. The schedule is crazy. I highly recommend you go to bluehighwayfest.com and check out the lineup. But let me just give you an idea of some of the people. How about Sam Bush, Tim O'Brien, Dan Tominski, Larry Sparks, Seldom Seen, Blue Highway. It's an incredible lineup. An incredible lineup. Go to bluehighwayfest.com to check out the lineup. And then to enter, you can. there's a link below or you can just email me. Daniel Patrick Music at Yahoo.com in the subject matter or subject line, put Blue Highway Fest, and then just put your name and information in the email. Again, all you have to do is email me for a chance to win tickets. Again, I want to thank the folks at Blue Highway Fest for the opportunity for our listeners to go to this incredible festival for free. What a giveaway! So enter for your chance to win now. Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 194 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you by Acoustic Disc, where if you go over to Acoustic Disc's website, you can just enter your email and they'll send you a free song every week. That's right, free treat of the week. They're also putting out incredible music every month and and obviously... Almost every one of David Grisman's releases is available at that website. High quality MP3 or uh, FLAC downloads, I believe they have. So go over there and check it out. Acoustic Disc. How is everybody doing? Doing well? Feeling better? Thanks for reaching out. I uh, Yeah, Green Mountain Bluegrass Fest. Holy cow. First thing, thank you to everyone who stopped and said hello and brought me gifts and and uh, just, it was awesome to meet so many people there. What a good time. They're going to be doing it again next year. And this is, I don't know how many people I had tell me this was like the best festival they've ever been to. And it really is. You have to go there to experience it. It's beautiful. Um, it, the acts are always incredible. There's tons of collaboration. Everybody's sitting in with everybody else. It's just, it's 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 amazing. The Lamplighter. I mean, again, you can't even describe the lamplighter. You walk back into the woods and it's just like the most beautiful thing you've seen all lit up and and all these incredible performers. So put it on your calendar next year in August. I'll holler as soon as the details are announced. And again, I just want to thank Jill and and John for allowing me to to be part of this festival. It's really an honor and I'm looking forward to next year. And as you heard at the beginning of this podcast, the Blue Highway Fest is coming up. I mentioned the lineup at the top. I don't want to mention it again, but Jesus, Sam Bush, Tim O'Brien, Daryl Scott, Sean Lane from Blue Highway. That, that's incredible. And giving away tickets. Just shoot me an email, danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com to enter. Put Blue Highway Fest in the subject. Um, yeah. And Daniel Ulam, my guest this week. Great album, The Swananoa Sessions. It's Bandcamp Friday today, by the way, September 1st, if you're listening today. So go and buy your uh, favorite artist's music today. They get all the proceeds. Can't really ask for much more than that. So head on over to Bandcamp and fill your carts. Another thing I want to bring up, too, is I've been able to be 
flip through this book now. I'm working my way through it. The Life and Work of Lloyd Lore. I can never say his middle name right, so I'm going to leave it out. But it's by Roger Simonoff. I'm holding it here in my hands, and it is amazing, man. It is, it's a combination of the history of, of Lloyd and the there's photographs. I mean, so many photographs. The amount of work that was put into this book is incredible. And the holidays are just around the corner, y'all. And if you go to SiminoffBooks.com, you can get yourself one of these before the holidays. Uh, it's only $49.95 and absolutely worth it. It's uh, It's incredible. If you've listened to the podcast that I've had before with Roger, you know that he's had so much access to to Lloyd Lore and his his widow and just all these incredible things. I mean, handwritten notes, uh, pictures of instruments, patents. It's it's incredible. So I highly recommend it. The Life and Work of Lloyd Lore. I can't say the middle name by Roger Simonoff. Simonoffbooks.com. Go there. Get a copy for yourself. Get a copy for a friend. Peghead Nation with Peghead Nation streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Peghead Nation features an incredible lineup of mandolin instructors. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. The courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And you can join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at NorthfieldMandolins.com. Download their app at MandoSummit.app. For lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Also, follow them on Instagram. My guest this week actually got to see a couple of the cool things they got going on at the uh, Fretboard Summit. He was there and went by the Northfield booth, and I'll let you hear Daniel talk about it. But, man, just just love all the stuff that Adrian and those folks over at Northfield are doing. And I love that they do so much of it in the place where I was born, in Michigan. So, Northfield Mandolins. Speaking of Michigan... Elderly Instruments is also in Michigan and on the internet. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. From the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're now in their 51st year, they're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Head on over to Ellis Mandolins and actually Elderly sells Ellis and Pava Mandolins. And Northfield Mandolins. Man, go check out that Elderly website. I check it out every day. There's so much cool stuff. You know, sometimes you can't afford a brand new instrument, but you want to try to get some different sounds out of it. And I've got two ways that you can always do. They're tried and true. The first, try a new pick or two. Head over to Tone Slabs, get yourself a slab of tone. I love my Tone Slab pick. The uh, Darth Tone, specially made to to my specifications. I get it beveled. You don't have to get it beveled. They've got all the shapes and thicknesses you could ever want. They have different materials. So head over to Tone Slabs right now and get yourself a slab of tone. Or you could try a new set of strings. Now, I highly recommend checking out those String Joy strings. 
The best part is they just came out with the mandolin strings and they're giving 10% off to mandolins and beer listeners. Use the code mandolinbeer at checkout and get 10% off. And I'll tell you what, I've been hearing nothing but great stuff about the coated strings. I actually got to check them out myself. They don't feel like any other coated string I've ever played. And I mean that in the best way possible. I was never a fan of the coated strings. They felt too weird, but not these. They feel incredible. They sound incredible. Check them out yourself at stringjoy.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Daniel. Oh, by the way, he mentions the Fingerbuster book, the Mike Marshall Fingerbuster book. That's also available at Elderly Instruments. Check that out. That is a great book. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. If you want to go to a free bluegrass festival, two or four days, just shoot me an email, danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com. Blue Highway Fest. Thank you so much to Blue Highway Fest for the uh, generosity. Now let's get into this episode with Daniel. Cheers, everybody. Now, it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Daniel Ullum. Daniel, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Oh, man, thank you so much for uh, doing it. Thank you for rescheduling. I was a little under the weather coming back from the uh, Green Mountain Bluegrass Festival. No sleep and travel uh, usually do me in. <laughs> yeah, no, happy to happy to accommodate. That didn't sound like fun. I mean, the festival sounds like fun. Yeah, but- yes, it was awesome. And you just... You were just in Chicago this past weekend at the uh, Fretboard Summit. I was, yeah. That was that was so much fun. I was, uh, yeah. I was playing uh, with Jake Eddy in a in a trio with him and his brother Carter, and uh, yeah, it was it was really you know played a lot of cool guitars. Um, yeah, it, it was a totally epic experience. Did you see Northfield while you were there by chance? I know they had a couple of their newer instruments there. Yeah, I did actually. I um I met up with them the last day and they let me try. They had like a couple different like electric octave type instruments. Like one was like an octave mandolin. Uh one was a fretless octave mandolin, which was wild. Whoa. Very fun. <laughs> and then they also had another instrument that was tuned like the what, like the middle four strings of the guitar. But it was still like course courses, you know, and um, so yeah, they they were all really great instruments, and they were explaining to me how they have like you know a normal magnetic pickup and a piezo pickup, and then you it has a stereo out, so you can take that stereo signal and run it to two different amps. So that's what they that that was the setup that they had there, and, uh, and plus some pedals and all sorts of things. But it was pretty fun. Yeah, could have stayed. Could have stayed there for a long time. <laughs> I bet. No, that was like, it sounded like it was a, a last minute trip to Chicago. Was that just via Jake? You had been, I saw you had posted some videos with him on, on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it was kind of last minute and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of in a, a transition phase right now where I'm like, I'm not working. I'm in between moves and, um, but I'm close enough to West Virginia so Jake has been calling me the last few weeks to come come do this and that. And so, yeah, he he called me and was like, you want to go to Chicago and do the fretboard summit? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Sign <laughs> me up. 
I'll drive however far. <laughs> how, how long have you known Jake for? I think a couple years. Um, yeah, I was visiting family in Austin, Texas, and uh, I saw that one of like a really good friend of mine, John Duncan, who is an Asheville guy, he was playing in Austin, and I was like, "What? What a coincidence!" So I went out to the show, and John was playing fiddle with Jake Eddy, and so I got to hang with the band and pick some tunes and. Um, yeah, I just, I was, I mean, I don't know who's not blown away by Jake's playing. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, it was a great show and we we stayed in touch. And so, you know, now that I have time and availability, he's, he's been calling me. So, yeah, it's very exciting. So how did you start playing mandolin? Uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I pretty much played most of my life, like my dad had a man, mandolins lying around when I was a kid. Um, so I would, you know, tinker, tinker on those. And, um, and then maybe when I was 11, I started taking lessons from a guy and, uh, we were living in Yakima, Washington at that time, which, uh, is Yakima is not really thought of as a hotbed of acoustic music, um, <laughs> but there was a, there was a mandolin teacher in town. So I started taking lessons and, and then, you know, at that time, you know, that was like the early 2000s. So I was like way into Nickel Creek and Chris Dealey. And uh, I did, I was kind of in that mode for a while. And then I think like when I was 16, I had a neighbor who I found out played mandolin or he found out I played mandolin, I should say. And he invited me over to a bluegrass jam and that kind of, I never been to like a potluck, you know, kind of community picking event like that before. And it just kind of was a game changer for me. I loved it. It's like stayed up late with all these people that were like almost 40 years older than me. And, um, it was really fun. Was your dad a bluegrass musician that he had a few mandolins or just kind of loved music? Loved music. He'd been to, he'd done some bluegrass stuff. Um, and yeah, how did he, I mean, he lived in Texas for a long time and uh, went to the Kerrville Bluegrass Festival. I think that was kind of his entry point, you know, and he loved Peter Rowan and uh, loved a lot of Texas musicians. And um, he tells a story and I would love to hear what these jams were like. But when he was like in his 20s, there was this gas station in Lubbock, Texas, that he would go hang out on, hang out at on Sundays. And there would be guys like drinking Coronas and like playing accordions and mandolins and like singing in Spanish and stuff. And my dad was hanging out with them. And like, I mean, I, that just seems like such a different scene to imagine, but yeah, that's kind of, that's where my dad got interested in mandolin, kind of like folky bluegrassy stuff. And then, um, yeah, for some reason he kind of just thought I would like playing mandolin and, and I ended up liking playing mandolin. So I've done it, you know, fast forward, like, you know, 20 years, I'm still doing it. That's so cool to have that, that experience. How did you um, initially hear Nickel Creek? Was that the one, like you said, that kind of pushed you over? Did, was that something your dad turned you on to, or is that something that you found yourself? Yeah, that was another dad move. He, he brought home a Nickel Creek album. Like, you know, what, I think their first one, he just picked it up at a store. I'm not sure how he heard about it, but I mean, lots of people were hearing about it at the time. So, um, but yeah, I, I, and I didn't really think about mandolin like that for a while. It was just kind of like a fun album to listen to. Me and my siblings all liked it. But I, then actually what happened was 
I guess my dad noticed that I was enjoying that album, so he got the he for my birthday he gave me the Not All Who Wander Are Lost album, and that yeah, great album. like start what was like because this is kind of pre being able to really find a lot of information on the internet i mean i think the internet was obviously around in 2000 but i don't think it was being like you know as it is now you got jake howard transcribing chris Thiele. <laughs> you know right. like like it's warp speed now but you know back then were you just like sitting down with the album and trying to learn the songs or, or, or was it still kind of too advanced at that point? How, how were you approaching the learning? Oh yeah, that was way over my head. And <laughs> to be honest, like I've tried to learn some of those tunes um, through the years. I probably, I've had like a couple of times where I'm like, okay, finally we're going to like work on something. But uh, you know, I've never really transcribed any of that material. Um, I think that the thing that happened to me was I just, I was just really, I loved the sound of acoustic music. I loved how exciting it was. And so I just listened to it a bunch. But I guess what I was learning and playing was fiddle tunes. And I, I've always loved just playing fiddle tunes. And, um, you know, there was a long time where I, I didn't have people to play with. So I would just, you know, find a fiddle tune and I would play that on repeat by myself and, uh, you know, annoy my siblings and things like that. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it wasn't until like, you know, I was in my early 20s that I discovered that there was like actually a culture surrounded around playing a fiddle tune repeatedly over and over again without, <clears throat> you know, improvising or varying the melody. But there are, in fact, lots of people who just love to like play the melody into a trance. So, yeah, that was uh, old time was a huge discovery for me to because uh, I didn't grow up with any sort of bluegrass background or acoustic music background i grew up in the midwest where like rock music was and still i think is you see the shows that go there all the time <laughs> you know and it's just yeah. like you know but then discovering old time after like listening to a lot of bill monroe and nickel creek and whatever and and like discovering foghorn string band and being like oh my gosh what is this this is amazing Yeah, so I started listening to the Foghorn String Band when I was in college, and that was, uh, man, that was such a huge, like, I mean, the thing, like, I guess I, you just mentioned rock music, but I guess like any good teenager, like, I started getting into, like, punk and metal and, you know, rock music in my, in those high school years, because that's, like, what all the people were doing, and there was something about, like, the virtuosic, like, soloing and improvising that, like, doesn't quite fit as much in rock music um, because with rock bands, sometimes it's just about like the groove and like 
or I guess punk bands, you know, it's just like full speed ahead, you know, like we're just playing loud and letting, letting loose and whatever. And so Foghorn was the first band I heard where like I heard a mandolin player that was playing the melody and was doing it really well, but it also was like so with the band and it just felt like this wall of sound, like kind of punk rock thing that I had, you know, been loving for so long. So I, yeah, when I heard Foghorn, that kind of, that that really changed things for me. And then that same that same year, uh, I went to the the Weezer like National Old Time Fiddle Contest. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to Stickerville is what I went to. They're like in the same same place, same time, but Stickerville is like a kind of this other thing, and that's where Foghorn hangs out. So like this year, it, you know, it actually was about ten years ten years ago to this day, but. Um, yeah, I went to this fiddle convention and Foghorn was camped the row across from me. And so I was falling asleep at night listening to Foghorn throw down. And, and uh, yeah, I was in the middle of college at that point. And I feel like if I hadn't had done that, I probably would have just like gone and gotten a normal job or like, you know, done, I guess, kind of a more normal thing. But that summer was so inspiring and like, getting to see Caleb and getting to meet all those other like really serious musicians at, at Stickerville that kind of changed gears for me. So what were you going to school for at that point? Uh, engineering. Oh, no kidding. Really? <laughs> yeah. I was in a, a civil, a civil engineering program, uh, which was good. I'm, I'm glad I did that. But, but yeah, the, the music kind of took over after, after that. So how long did you stay in Washington at that point as far as your like music playing career went? I played in a few bands after college. Um, so I was in Seattle for maybe – I was in Seattle for like four years during college and about like three and a half afterwards. And uh, yeah, played a lot of music around the West Coast and uh, got to know some – I was really excited to see you had Pete Martin on the podcast the other day. Yeah. Because I used to, he was a big inspiration during this time as well. It's like Caleb was like one side of things, but then Pete Martin was kind of this other side. Um, so I, I, I love both of their planes. And um, I took lessons from this guy named Matt Sersley, who uh, I don't know if, if you know him, but he's like a great swing mandolin player, a great bluegrass mandolin player. He's also a good songwriter. And, uh, so I had I would hang out with him and get like lessons in theory and just like how to be like a good musician and how to listen. And then uh, well, he was pretty influential as well. What were some of the tips he told you for um, like how to listen and how to be a better musician? Did he give you any like specific things to kind of uh, listen for? Oh, man, Matt. Matt has so many, so many like tidbits. Every time I hang out with him, I feel like he's talking about something new, but like it, one of our first lessons, you know, he like set a metronome and explained how to like swing with the metronome versus drive with the metronome. And uh, that I had, no one had really told me that before. And uh, or, you know, he told me like he, he would show me some fun swing tunes and be like, you know, you really need to learn your two, five, one progressions. And uh, uh, or there was one time, actually, one thing I think about probably more than anything was he talked about like, when you're a mandolin player, you need to stay in character. Um, meaning that like, if you start a song 
in like doing a certain style of mandolin playing, you should try to keep that kind of consistent throughout the song. Um, I hear it a lot, like kind of in old time jams, I think because like it's easy to kind of get bored sometimes, but like the mandolin player will be like strumming and then it'll be like soloing and then they'll be doing this like counterpoint other thing and then back to like strumming. And it's like, it kind of is all like a little chaotic and, um, you know, but choosing like one mode to be in and like trying to really, you know, inhabit that mode and like be that character, you know, like we all have different characters we can play as mandolin players, but choosing one and staying with it for the course of a song. That was something Matt Sersley told me. That's something I think about a lot. Oh, that's really cool. That's interesting too, how you mentioned that about, cause like old time, it just seems like if, if you're noodling around, you're not, you're almost missing the point of like getting into that, you know, mindset of letting the song lift off yeah when was your next move after you leave washington you're like all right music is my thing well yeah so i you know i was living in seattle and i was trying to learn all i could about bluegrass and old-time music so at a certain point i realized i was somewhat in the wrong location so i decided to move to Asheville, north carolina and uh I lived there for like three years and just kind of went to like all the fiddle conventions I could. Like uh, the East coast is cool. I mean, you probably aware of this, but the East coast is cool because more bands tour around here. Like to, for a band to get out to the West coast, it's like a haul. And then once you're at out West, it's like, okay, you can be in Seattle and then it's like three hours to Portland. And then it's nine hours to San Francisco. I mean, it's so, it's so spread out, but you know, out east, it's a lot easier. So, like, yeah, being in Asheville, there's a lot of good bands that come through, great bluegrass jams, great old-time jams, lots of community that's centered around music. What did you find uh, the biggest difference between an a- the Asheville scene and the Seattle scene were as far for you musically? People play really fast in Asheville. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was, I mean, it was... I, you know, I I felt like I could play fast, but, like, I showed up at jams and, like, uh, you know, there'd already be, like, two great mandolin players that were just, like, playing super fast. And then, like, turns out that the guitar player, who's he's been shredding guitar, is also a great mandolin player. So he's, you know, playing circles around me. And then, like, even, like, the bass player will stop and pick up the mandolin and start playing super fast. So like, it just, yeah, the level of musicianship in Asheville was amazing. Um, I was... Yeah, it was awesome. So how does how do you change your style at that point? Do you change your style, or or do you be like, okay, well, there's obviously a bunch of fast players here. I'm gonna kind of veer towards the old time thing, or did you, you know, sit down and try to start picking faster? Yeah, a little bit of both. Definitely start trying to trying to. I mean, it's kind of one of those things that like if you're if you're hanging around people who are playing fast, you kind of just start learning how to do it. You know, like almost through osmosis um i mean definitely you have to like there's some technique and some you know personal shed time that you need to do but like if if you're trying to play fast but you're not playing with other people who play fast then you're not really it's kind of hard to do that um if you know what i'm saying it's almost too like you get in those jams and it's like feet in the fire like eventually you just have just to keep up you find yourself playing faster it might not be the cleanest playing but <laughs> you know yeah yeah, exactly. 
Although, you know, the other thing is that uh, because I like old-time tunes so much and I love melodies, um, sometimes in those jams, like, because the, the two or three guys before me had done, like, a really, you know, shreddy out there solo, I could step up and just play the melody but play it real strongly, and uh, people would get really excited by that, too. So, Was it easy, then, to put together projects while you were in Asheville? Did yeah, well, when I first landed in Asheville, um, I had not very much money, so I had to get a job for a little bit just to kind of land and orient myself. But um, but yeah, then then I started getting some gigs. I you know, I'd been playing bands in Seattle for a long time, and some people kind of knew of those projects that I had been in. So when I was in Asheville, people would ask me to sit in here and there. Um, I ended up moving into a house of musicians with a. Uh, like the I was the bass player from Town Mountain was living with us, Zach, and then uh, I was living with John Duncan, who I mentioned earlier, and uh, this other guy Hawk and Oyen. But they're all great musicians. All like most of them play fiddle and banjo and guitar, you know everything. So we started a house band, uh, played a little bit around town as that, and then um, and then right before the pandemic started, I started playing with a songwriter named Aaron Burdett, who he, he'd been playing in kind of singer-songwriter rock bands for a long time, but then his record label was kind of thinking it would be better if he started doing an acoustic trio, like bass, mandolin, guitar. And I actually had had, had a lot of experience in that format because one of my Seattle bands did that. Um, but yeah, so I, I played with Aaron. I was starting to like, you know, go down, we Go to, went down to Charleston, went down to Florida, and then the pandemic happened, and so, that, so on and so forth. Yeah, and then Aaron joined. He's now the the new Steep Canyon Ranger guitar player and singer. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. It's wild. I mean, he's a he's a, like a legend in, in North Carolina. I feel like he's been writing songs and singing for so long, and then, yeah, he yeah. He's a good fit for that band. I'm, I'm excited he's, he got that. So what did you do? Were you, did you stay in Asheville during COVID? Yeah, yeah. I was I was there for probably like the first couple years of COVID. And then, then uh, I decided to – I actually went back to school. That was kind of one of the pandemic things for me was, you know, all the gigs were drying up. And I didn't want to – I was like a worry. You know, I didn't want to be socializing a lot, so – I found this program in Washington where I could mostly do it online and not be around people and just kind of keep my head down for a couple of years. So, um, but the first part of the pandemic was like pretty easy for me. If I'm being honest, like I had some gigs dry up that I was excited about, but all my roommates were pickers. So we just like hung out and played music and went for bike rides and, you know, just tried to like stay afloat together. So it was like, Actually, some great. I have some great memories from the early pandemic. How did the Swananoa sessions come up? This is a really great album.
yeah, so I that was like when I realized I was about to move. I real I wanted to document, you know, what my plane sounded like at that time because it kind of felt like the end of an era a little bit. You know, I'd been living in Asheville, I'd been learning all these tunes, I'd been meeting all these people, and so yeah, and I I just wanted that was one part of it, and then I had had another part of like. Um, I was hearing all of these albums coming out from different fiddlers and stuff that I really admired that were starting to get into that like in between zone of bluegrass and old time. And uh, so I was really inspired by uh, like Joseph DeCosimo has an album, uh, the Rocky Creek Ramblers, uh, where he's playing fiddle tunes, but there's mandolin in it and there's a five, uh, you know, three finger banjo. And then uh, I don't know if you listen to Hard Drive, like from Tatiana Hardgraves and uh, Sonia Bedigan. Yeah, like that. That album was pretty inspired. So, anyways, there was this stuff coming out, and then I, I just realized that I knew some great. I knew a great banjo player, and I knew some great fiddlers, and uh, and I, yeah, I just kind of put it all together. So I, I reached out to Tatiana Hardgraves, who did Hard Drive and asked her if she would help me do this album uh help i consulted with her about like what kind of tunes and like how to prepare the band and everything and then uh, i also had her in the studio with us kind of giving us feedback and you know doing that producer role that that was and she she's she was great it was so i mean she's one of my heroes and um so it was really cool to have her there and just listening to what was and she's a great listener so she you know she would give us you know like oh you guys should like speed up a little bit or you're getting a little frantic you know calm down <laughs> how did you uh pick some of these tunes then how did because it's a pretty cool eclectic mix of songs i think as well yeah so i had a few tunes in mind that i wanted to do like wild hog was was one that i had heard tatiana play and really liked and Grey Eagle was another one that I had been playing a lot when I was in Asheville, and just really, it's a great C tune. If you like playing Billy in the Low Ground, you should play Grey Eagle.
But uh, so like I, I had a few ideas of tunes, but more more importantly, there were some fiddlers that I wanted to have on the project. Um, so I John Duncan was on it, and I just asked John what he felt like fiddling. So John had some ideas. I got Lindsay Pruitt to fiddle on a couple tracks. She was one of my favorite parts of living in Asheville because when she was in town, she would go to all the jams, and she was really friendly and uh, really inspiring to play with. Um, yeah, she just has a lot of ideas, and she's down to hang out and, and play. So, yeah, it was a real honor having her on the album. Um, yeah, so when I realized her and Tatiana were both going to be on the album, I was like, okay, we're going to have to have you guys twin. <laughs> <laughs> They had never met before either, so I that was kind of fun. I felt I got to kind of facilitate like a, a music friendship there. So let's see, that's three fiddlers, and then I had I had Rob Fong uh, playing fiddle, and Rob doesn't he's not like a professional musician necessarily, but he is like a great musician, and he lives in Asheville, and he's pretty integral to the scene there, and he knows so many so many tunes and. You can play banjo and fiddle and guitar and like blues guitar. He's a really thoughtful musician. Um, yeah, I really admire him. So yeah, he wasn't he wasn't like totally into it at first. Like <laughs> he he loves playing music, but he's not he doesn't necessarily care about like gigging, making records, or this or that. But he did agree to do it, and I'm so glad he did. Um, yeah, he's he's just a, a huge. He has a great. So there's if you're into like any of the Rob Fong tunes, he has a band called the French Broadcasters that uh, they have some like EPs out there that are cool to check out. But then Rob also has a great YouTube channel uh, called Tight Dash R Dash Tone, and uh, he just has like all of these like videos of him playing solo fiddle or solo banjo, and also he has some truck and tractor videos too if you're into that. But, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, Rob. Rob is Rob's awesome, and these are just like people that I got to know in Asheville, and got to hang out with and jam with. So they were all, they were all friends, and we were all like set up in a, you know a friend's house, and it was really it was a really fun project to get to do. It felt like a dream band in so many ways. Yeah, I love the vibe of the album. It's just it's like a great listen, and it's just it, again the variety really is. Uh, you know, like. I mean, again, I love bluegrass and old time, but sometimes, you know, you listen to an album and you're like, it's like 15 songs. You're like, okay. After like song seven, like, I just need to change a pace, you know? So yeah. I do like this, this, this got a bunch of cool variety, a couple little interludes in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like shake. I like, yeah. You need a, you need a palate cleanser from time to time. Old time. What, what are some pieces of advice you would give to people? Not a lot of it has mandolin in it, especially if you listen to the really old stuff. Um, and so what are some tips for mandolin players getting into old time? What's ways that you hear a song that doesn't have mandolin and, and, and you find, you know, a way to play it? Do you find multiple versions? You know, what's your approach on, on playing old time music? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, as with anything, listening is, is critical. And so, yeah, if you haven't listened to the Foghorn String Band, like, go check out them. Uh, if you haven't, I love, like, Norman Blake's mandolin playing. I think that goes well with a lot of old-time stuff. Um, Ella Haley is someone that I like talking about uh, because she, uh, 
there's not a ton of like you're talking about like old source recordings. A lot of them don't have mandolin. Well, there's a few that do. And if you're into Ed Haley fiddle tunes, if you go back to like those source recordings, you'll hear Ella playing rhythm mandolin in a lot of those tracks. And it's really cool playing. I mean, it sounds kind of simple and, you know, kind of, she's just, she's playing a lot of like open chords. But um, if you listen to it enough, and if you've like tried to play in that way, you realize that she's actually has a really cool way of, um, she, she like is like relentless with her timing. I mean, she's just like totally on it. She has this really, when it like, when you listen to it collectively, it's just a, it's just a really cool way of keeping time. And that's, it's something that I've been really inspired by. And I know like Mike Compton has talked about Ellis playing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think of good tunes. Like if, if there's one called Dunbar that uh, she has some good mandolin playing on. Uh, there's like Sally Gooden. There's an Ed Haley Sally Gooden where Ellis is playing pretty much like a one, four, five progression. And it's kind of like the most punk rock thing I've ever heard, honestly. There was a time in my own life, like, you know, when I was like 16, where I was like imagining you can play punk rock on mandolin. So I'd be like, you know, playing Ramon songs on mandolin in my room by myself. And my parents <laughs> were like, what is going on with this child? You know, but uh, <laughs> so I, I kind of have like an open heart to that sort of stuff. But Ella Haley actually kind of gets at that in a really cool way. And, you know, like 60 years before the fact, honestly. I think those recordings were all made in the 60s, but like, yeah, the the Ed Haley story, the Ed and Ella Haley story is very very interesting. I mean, they were full time professional musicians in Kentucky and in uh, West Virginia, and they traveled to different places to to play dances or like bust it around courthouses. and And Ed is like a virtuosic fiddler, but Ella is also like he taught Ella how to play mandolin to accompany him. That's that's what people say. So, oh wow, I think that I think that's a good. I think that's I mean, I should clarify that not everyone loves Ella Haley rhythm mandolin, but a lot of people do, and I think it's cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. It's what that's what makes us all sound different, you know. The the influences, yeah. you know, and some people I mean, some people don't like Bill Monroe. Some people love Bill Monroe. Some people don't like Chris Seeley's playing. Some people love it. You know what I mean? That's the beautiful thing about about music is everybody's got a little bit of a different a little bit of a different take on it. You know? Yeah. What do you think it was about old time that really, really got you into that? You know, it's not, you know, you've taken swing lessons and obviously you play bluegrass stuff and you were into punk rock. But what is it about old time that does it for you? I just, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of tunes, a lot of different, um, a lot of different melodies and different like types of tunes. And uh, I like the history and like I like knowing where tunes come from and 
uh, knowing, yeah, where fiddlers lived and kind of like what their life was like. There's just kind of a lot of that stuff I like thinking about. Um, but also the community is really great. Like, um, you know, I, I've met most, a, a lot of my great friends and, and like, you know, my, my longtime partner I've met through playing old time music and, um, yeah, the community is the community is really nice. It's it's easy. It's an easy thing just to like get together and play tunes, and you're you're playing as a collective, and uh, you're, you know there's some there's there's like a little bit of competitiveness, especially like I guess there's like band contests and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's a pretty collaborative, like open, friendly situation, and and people, you, you know, if you're in a jam, in an old time jam, like no one's trying to like play over each other or no one's trying to like step out and like kind of show off. It's, it's mostly like, let's all get on the same wave wavelength and just hang out together for a while. What's some playing techniques that you employ in old time that you think maybe might differ a little bit from like trying to play like, you know, some of the, some of the faster shreddy bluegrass and, and things like that. Mm, that's a good question. Well, I use, I use a lot of open chords and a lot of, uh, kind of strummy stuff and i also try to when i'm doing the strummy stuff i'm trying to play like all of the strings at one time but you're also not trying to play like too loudly um so that's kind of like an interesting thing to to work on where like i feel like i'll i'll feel the pick kind of loosen up in my hand a little bit more and uh yeah but a lot of it, I guess, is just kind of like listening more, listening to where, like how the mandolin is fitting in with the, the guitar. Like in old time music, the guitar is often doing the, you know, the backbeat where the mandolin chop would go. Um, and so, and, and you're not going to chop in old time as much. Like some people like the chop. Uh, some people would prefer you not to do that. So then you, you, you're going to be like doing strummy stuff. And, but then you also want to make it sound a little different than the guitar or like complement the guitars. So, it, I mean, if the guitar and mandolin that, together, that can be like a really powerful rhythm section if you're like in the right places. So actually, you know how like people say in bluegrass, the guitar, the like the mandolins on the one and three or the mandolins on the two and four, the bass is on the one and three and the guitar is kind of everywhere in between. I feel like that's kind of the opposite for old time because the old and in old time, the guitar is going to be on the two and four. The the bass is going to be on the one and three. And then the mandolin. I mean, if you're playing like Ella Haley, you're going to be playing on every beat. Just like the jing, 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 jing. Yeah. What was some of the swing stuff that you were listening to? Oh, well, I've listened to, I mean, I talked about Matt Sersley. He has a band called Hot Club Sandwich. And, uh, yeah, they, they were great. They played all over the Northwest and, um, I mean, I think their last album was on acoustic disc and uh, like David Grisman's playing on it. So. I listen to them a lot. They they have a lot of great material. So because I was kind of like 
I've always looked at as to Matt as like kind of a mentor. I, I listen to his music a lot. Um, but and yeah, and like swing music. I mean, I love love Django. Um, I feel like I've jammed on on tunes a lot with people, but I don't have a lot of uh, I don't have a lot of like swing influences necessarily. Sure. Most, mostly just players that like I've I've gotten to hang out with admire like there's a bunch of people in Seattle I can think of that I like playing with um I had this pal uh named Jim Horbit who I, I played in a band with him called the Rain City Ramblers and he was a great swing guitar player and uh he I he he was like swing and bluegrass were kind of his things so in that band it was like he was like swing and bluegrass I was bluegrass an old time and then we had a bass player who I mean, he liked everything, but uh, yeah, Jim. Jim taught me a lot. But yeah, I don't. I don't, to. I guess to bring it back around, I don't play a lot of swing music. I feel like I'm always kind of faking it when I'm in a swing team. And yeah, like living in Seattle, there's a great swing scene there. So uh, there, it would often be the case that you'd go to a house party and there'd be like a bluegrass jam in one room and then an epic swing jam in, in another room. And, Honestly, for like the swing and bluegrass crossover, Seattle, I think is one of the best, the best places for that. I haven't like, I haven't heard as much swing music in other places as I have in Seattle. When we were. Uh, messaging back and forth a little bit er- earlier this morning, you mentioned you were practicing this morning, and so I'd love to talk to you a little bit about what your practice regime is. Oh yeah, um, yeah, I've been practicing a lot lately because uh, I'm, I'm getting these random phone calls from Jake Eddy. So like, <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, I've uh, this morning I, I did some metronome practice. Um, you know, just especially in the morning, I try to make sure I'm, I'm warming up. Um, so I don't like stress myself out too much. And I'm getting older, so I'm trying to like do a better job at taking care of everything. But yeah, I set a metronome to like 80 BPM, and then I I set it on the offbeat. And then uh, honestly, I've just been doing the the finger buster exercises from Mike Marshall. Do you ever do those? Oh man, yeah, yeah. You're the second person like a month who's talked about those. Those are great. I've used those for a long time. Like I love the uh, the string changing exercises. Um, those are really good for right hand technique and especially to like warm up and like not think about the left hand, just only the right hand and just like think about time and tone and like how you're like getting in rhythm. I mean, that, that kind of gets, so if you do that, do you I have do like a thing for, to do like you know, repertoire minutes, you work on like new tunes? What's practice, your, uh, so you get warmed up. What's so usually the next step? Yeah. Well, so lately, um, I, I kind of have different, different, uh, I guess, eras of practicing, I guess. It's hard for me to, like, stay focused on the same goal for, like, that long, I guess. Yeah, I'm the same way, dude. That's why I'm, a- <laughs> that's why I'm asking these questions. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 any advice I can get in practice is always helpful. Well, so, lately, the, the practice for me has been uh, finding fiddle tunes finding that are played by a fiddle and, like, really trying to learn the melody to be in line with the fiddle. Um, and so I've been, I've actually been listening to Ed Haley a lot lately. Um, 
And so, and, and those recordings, some of those are like kind of scratchy old, old stuff, but I uh, basically like, I'll listen to a tune like, I, so like Poplar Bluff is a really sweet, sweet tune from Ed Haley. And there's a lot of versions out there and it's kind of this modally D tune. Um, but for, for like for that tune, I, I'll listen to it and then I'll slow it down. And then I'll like loop sections of it. And in doing like the slowed down looping stuff, I'm hearing all of these like grace notes or like bow articulations that are just a little different than what I would hear upon my first or second listen. And uh, so then I bring that back to like my string changing, you know, like right hand technique. And I'm thinking about like, how can I really get the the right hand to sound how can i get the pick to sound like the bow or if i can't do that like how am i approximating it and like um yeah that's the crazy thing about those old-time fiddle songs is i I like first listen like you know you listen to it you're like oh yeah i I hear the melody and you learn it and you're like it doesn't sound like the melody (laughs) you know this is definitely the notes kind of you really like slow it down and loop it like you said it's it's amazing the uh just the variations that each player has in like the littlest thing and you're like man it's that's what makes the tune yeah the little things the little things yeah the devil's in the details and you know, being a mandolin player, I have a tendency to kind of do a da di da di da di da di da kind of rhythm when I'm picking, like because the upstrokes are a little different than the downstrokes. And uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think more about my upstrokes, not necessarily about making them consistent, but just being like like when a fiddle does an upstroke, it kind of. And I'm getting outside my wheelhouse here talking about this. <laughs> I'm sure any fiddlers listening to this is gonna you know, have things to say, but you know, when a fiddle does an upstroke, you know, off like they're often playing like a long bow or there's a lot going on. And so they're, they're so, you know, you have to be so much more deliberate with your bow. And whereas like with an upstroke for a mandolin player, it's almost just like a, you know, just a way to get back to your downstroke. You know, we, I don't know. I don't always think about it that much. So I'm trying to be more intentional with my upstrokes. Let's talk a little bit about your gear. What's your what's your main axe? Oh yeah, uh, so I I actually have a couple mandolins right now that I I kind of uh, toss go between, and they're both Weinman mandolins. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So I I wasn't planning on getting two of them, but it just kind of ended up that way. But I have one that is about like a year a year old a little over a year and then i have another one that is a maybe three years older and i got the the older one i bought from josh rilko actually so he recorded an album with it and then uh and then he sold it to me and then i recorded the swananoa sessions with it and uh yeah it's a beautiful mandolin josh played the heck out of it it's you know has an amazing tone now and um it has a one piece back which is really pretty and uh yeah, it's real mid-rangey, which I like. Um, I played a Collins MT2 for a long time, and so getting like upgrading to this F5 was like a pretty big deal. But it was kind of it took me a little, it took a while to get used to just how much mid-range there is in this mandolin. But so, but then the newer Wyman I have, uh, it has a two-piece back, so it's a little bit louder, and um, it 
it has a little more bass response, I would say, but it's still pretty mid rangey. But that's the mandolin. Like I had that mandolin with me uh, in Chicago this week. Or that's the mandolin I've I've been playing with Jake. I actually, you know, given that it was the fretboard summit, I brought both mandolins um, so I could show off to people. <laughs> Wes and Will Weinman, they they're really they're awesome guys. I've really enjoyed getting to getting to know them and talk talk to them about mandolins and music. And um, I met them at a guitar show uh, a few like in Asheville actually because they they're from Hendersonville, North Carolina. That's where their shop is, but. Uh, there was a guitar show down there and I had actually, I was looking for a guitar and I had picked up this like beautiful, like Kalamazoo Oriole guitar. It had been x braced It was like an amazing guitar. And I took it to go into a practice room to check it out. And Wes and Will were there showing off one of their mandolins. And I immediately was like, wait, what are you guys doing? Can I play that? And, uh, <laughs> And I had played a lot of mandolins that day, actually, because there were a number, there were you know a number of old mandolins floating around at this guitar show. But that Wyman mandolin that I played that day, which was actually, I think it was Josh Realco's first Wyman, because he's also had two. There's lots of people that have had two Wymans. <laughs> I'm starting to learn. Um, but yeah, I just it just felt so. I felt like Sam Bush, honestly. It just had this drive and this kind of like crunch and i've just i don't know i loved it so i it took me a while to get on their build list and then um and then i ended up getting two but yeah i love i love the winemans and i love their work and pretty pretty pumped how about strings and picks i've used the the chris Ely blue chip pick for like over 10 years holy cow and, wow yeah i've i've you know i like using the the weekends you know with the holes in them the triangle. I go for triangle picks. Definitely, like heavy triangle picks is like what I go for. But um, I'm just really used to blue chips, so that's I haven't found a good reason to to change. But I have like a you know a tortoise shell pick that I, I'll use occasionally. And uh, um, but yeah, that those blue chips they go a long way. Have you used the same one for ten years, or have you uh, gone through <laughs> a couple? I've I've had a, I've had a few, but I will say I I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at hanging on to them. <laughs> right, yeah. Like on wood, but. And how about strings? I just use the Diderio uh, J74s, and uh, sometimes I get coated. Sometimes I don't. Most of the time I don't. I just it's it's so it's easy to find those. You know, they're such a standard, and uh, I guess David Grisman uses them, so good enough for me. Yeah, can't go <laughs> can't go wrong with that. Do you um do you plug in ever when you play or are you just straight mic? I you know I'd prefer to mic if I can, but I do have a K and K pickup, and uh, I'll do that into like an LR bags uh, venue DI. That's that's been my show setup for the longest time. It's kind of interesting with these Wyman mandolins, like, and I'm I'm not like the greatest sound person, but I was playing around with the EQ beforehand and. I, I did something which I've never done before and I, maybe I shouldn't do, be doing it, but like I turned the bass down and I turned like the highs down and then I set the mid range to like 440 pretty much. And then just cranked that like boosted that. I mean, I would never do that with another mandolin, but there was something about these mandolins that like um, I was, I was listening to shows and like the sound guy was kind of making it sound more like a guitar 
And then the so it just sounded like two guitars on stage. So I was kind of like, you know, I'm just not going to give them the option of doing that. And I just <laughs> cranked the mid range, and and I like it. I, I I there's one like there's an Aaron Burdett show on YouTube that I I saw where I I think I had it cranked like that, and I I think it sounds good. So. I have two more questions for you here. Uh, the the first one I always like to ask people is if you only had ten minutes a day to play, what would you recommend? Yeah, I would probably, uh, you know, if you have a, a tune that's like the tune of the week for you or something, like, uh, yeah, pick up pick up the instrument, like, give that a couple runs, and then I would I would say like maybe spot check a section of the melody, you know, check out what the right hand is doing, check out like play it slow, like make sure that like your fingers are synced up with your pick strokes, you know? I'm always noticing that, like, the, my fingers are coming down, like, a little too early and I'm losing tone or, you know, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would, like, play, you know, do something. I think, you know, give yourself, like, a minute or two to, like, have a little bit of fun and then try to focus on something for the remainder of your time. And if you, like, turn on a metronome in that time, like, you know, that's that would be even better. Slow metronome practice is like so amazing. Like that goes a long way. It's it's if you have not done slow metronome practice, it is a mind altering experience the first time you really try to do it. You know, it's just yeah. like man, it's <laughs> there is a lot of time between clicks. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's so much movement that's happening during that during that time, and there's so much movement that yeah, you're not necessarily conscious of, but if you start thinking about it, it yeah, it helps tighten. Yeah, pays off huge. It also really helps you realize one of the things. My interviewed um, dog was, you know, he was talking about like, you know, hold that note as long as you can, let those notes run into each other, and when you man, when you slow that metronome down, it really lets you realize like, um, uh, golden eagle hornpipe is one that I've been working on recently. And you really notice if you take your finger off that B note too soon, because it's like a huge gap of no sound. And it really helped me like realize like, Oh man, I'm not leaving my finger down long enough on this note. And I would have never realized that if I was just ripping along at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the final question is, do you have a favorite beer? Uh, I love that question. Uh, well, I will say, you know, I, I grew up in the Yakima Valley in Washington, so we're kind of known for hops, and and uh, so there's there's a brewery there called Bale Breaker, and uh, they have a lot of like very hoppy, very bitter beers, which I'm a fan of. But I really like their Top Cutter, their Top Cutter IPA. Washington is a great place for beer. Yeah, and some great musicians out there. I really do need to. Uh, I need to get out there, man. Yeah, have you have you been to Wintergrass? I have not. Yeah, that's a great time. Lots of fun out there. Yeah, I should need to do that too. Gosh, time, <laughs> finding more time. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what's the best place for everybody to find you, Daniel? I have a I have a website that's uh, danielolam dot com and. Uh, I'm on Instagram, and my my you know handle is u l o h d a n, which is not totally obvious to most people. But <laughs> if you search if you search my name in Instagram, you know I, I post stuff on there. But yeah, the website, Instagram, my music's on Bandcamp. Um, 
and uh, it's also on Spotify and all the other places too. Yeah, man. I'll post all the links here down below so people listening can easily click a button and find you immediately. Sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, Daniel, thank you so much for doing the podcast, dude. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, I love this podcast and listen to it all the time, so it's an honor to be here. Oh, man, thanks so much. It's an honor hearing somebody say that every time. It blows my mind. <laughs> Yeah, you're doing good work. Thanks, man. And uh, if you ever find yourself down in Charleston, South Carolina, dude, holler. We can find some find some beers and pick some tunes. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. All right, there we go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Once again, be sure to email me, danielpatrickmusic at yahoo.com. Go to the website. The link below will take you to the contact page. Just go to that in the subject. Put Blue Highway Fest. Thank you so much to Blue Highway Fest. Free tickets to an incredible festival. Go to bluehighwayfest.com to check out the entire schedule. And again, just shoot me an email for your chance to win free tickets.